0: Let's start with just a very short review of what we did last week. We're not going to go into a lot of detail because we have tons to try to cover today. We won't get through all of it, but I'm going to attempt to at least get us through our chapter theme and paragraphs to get that outline. Because in one, I believe that once you get the flow of thought correctly, assessed. And it's hard because it's easy to get dis- distracted by the very meaty doctrines that are in the scripture in chapter one and, and throughout all of this. But you have to stay focused. And so I'm going to help, t- help you to find those disciplines to do that. But let's go back and look at what we did last week in, in our overview. What did, what did you see was going on with the Corinthian uh, letter? What's, what is its essence of its message? Okay. He writes words of exhortation to them. Okay. There was quarreling among them. And the quarreling was causing what? Division. Division. And when, um, when you look at the book on the whole we see that he progressively handles also some other things besides the quarreling and divisions, which you see most certainly at the beginning. How many chapters did we determine really cover that subject of divisions? Four. And the first four. Now, why the first four? How do we know that two and three and four connect to one? Do you remember what we looked at, what, what I pointed out to you? Go to, go to the first word in chapter two. And. and, and what is the word and? It's a conjunction, that's right, it's a connector. It connects what was previously said to what is now being said. And therefore, what you can know by that then is that the conversation is not finished, right? So this is an objective tool... That you and i as inductive students can use to determine that there's a continuation of flow of thought that he is not finished with his subject basically right the other thing is we also uh, saw that as we continued on that that same concept of them needing to be united was brought forward now how it was brought forward is interesting we'll we'll mesh that out later i'm not going to go there right now but those first four chapters are connected by those those conjunctions on chapter two and three and then when four is he says basically let it's it's kind of almost a therefore statement therefore what are you going to do about this right now let this happen let men then regard and he goes on to finish a thought, so he, uh, it actually connects the others. Now, it, it, when he hits chapter 7, what does he do? The opening of chapter 7, what does that introduce to us? It's going to address the question they sent Right. So now it shows us that there was uh, not only do we have pre- in the first uh, six chapters the subject of. of issues that were going on. And how? And by the way, I forgot to ask you, how did those issues come to his attention? By a letter from, or or by word from Chloe's people, right? In chapter one, verse 12, or was it 12? No. 11. Okay. I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Okay. So then when he gets to seven, he says, now concerning the things about which you wrote now how do so with those two thoughts in mind that chloe has reported problems and that there are um that there are questions that they have had right diane mentioned that one of the one of the indicators in this book for her was the the word exhortation that this seems to be a letter of exhortation what else does it show us that it is it's not just exhortation is it there's some correction going on, there's some rebukes in there, and instruction. Very good, nice. So when you take that into totality, tally, what you can see then is on the whole, and it's a little bit unique to a lot of the New Testament books, where generally it's a subject that's the major emphasis right this book is a little bit different in that rather than it just being a subject it's actually going to be lots of subjects isn't it we've already seen that by the way that we broke down our segment divisions last week we went through how many we've got one two three four five six seven eight we have eight segment divisions which means there's basically at least eight major topics that he addresses and what ties this together for a theme for us is that it's a letter written to address concerns that he's heard about them and the questions that they've had so that is the author's major purpose in this book is to address the problems that he's heard about and the questions that they have right now one thing we want to do, though, is then take those, those two points that we know he's addressing, and therefore there's lots of subjects, and say, well, what is his ultimate goal in what he's addressing here, right? And it seems to me like if you keep looking, um, let's go back to where he says, uh, hold on, in verse 10, just before he says he has been informed about Chloe's people, right? He uses that word exhort that you brought up, Uh, Diane now I exhort you brethren by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all do what then agree that there be no divisions among you but now he's going to tell you what he wants of you right the but is the contrast and so it's it's an absolute given that it's there now what does he want from you and this is going to help us to focus and see what is his goal for them what is his purpose in writing and what does it say Yes that you be that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment now we're going to break that sentence down a little bit more to make it have a little bit more meaning and and it's going to be a little more profound I think when we're done with our discussion today than it is right now but what we see is the author actually gives us a statement that says he wants you to know now I exhort you and he tells him right off the bat this is where we're headed we want to have this unity of mind and judgment so that we are together on things and then he takes that concept of he's wanting unity and with each subject he's going to show how they're to pull together in that unity right so today's lesson then we're ready to move on it was a pretty good overview right you kind of get your your ba- your boundaries back down where y- where you came from this outline by the way in your at a glance chart that whatever however you did yours this is going to be essential to keep handy while you're going through your homework each week if you don't lay this out before you you're going to lose focus i i trust i'm i'm absolutely convinced you will because what is what is going on in chapter one what kind of things did you see just in general before we get into the nitty-gritty of it and start breaking it down what did you see isn't that interesting so if it's a reinforcement about what God put in them what what systemically are you speaking about there is is that a truth about who they are is it a truth about who God is ah there you go so if you if you take that thought then that it's 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 showing us something about who they are and it's showing us about who God is what do you call those two things doctrine. It's the doctrine of the church and it's the doctrine about God and in this case we're going to break it down between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We will be breaking those down. This week we looked at God and Jesus and your list making and we broke those down to see what are we seeing about who is God and who is Jesus. So those are doctrines, right? How important are those doctrines? Very. Very. So if you as a student, without using your skills that you've been taught, how easy would it be for you to say, oh, chapter one is all about Jesus? Well, is it? Yeah. Well, yeah, kind of. But is that the author's purpose? No. No. (laughs) So here's where the disciplines of inductive Bible study come in as a great value to you. What you do is, if you do, as I said, you're going to take this list, you're going to say this right here in the blue, this is my author's subject right now. What is his subject in chapters one to four? The problem of division in the church, okay? And he's trying to pull them into what? One mind and one judgment, right? And so how he goes about doing that is by focusing on God the Father, God the Son, and who the, and who the church is. And he's trying to re-divert or re-uh, program them so that they get their mind back into where they're supposed to be rather than where they are. And we're gonna talk about where they actually are, the details of all that. Each chapter will have its own slight bent on this problem of division. But what you have to keep in mind when you're going through here is don't get distracted by those lovely, very, very important subjects of of doctrine. First, handle learning uh, you know, you you need to address the author's purpose because that's your context, and you have to stay on task with your subject, which is divisions and how is he going about solving it, and then you get all that underlying stuff, which is totally essential, it's doctrine, and, it, and it's good stuff, and it's very important, but it's not the author's purpose, so you want, that's, it's hard to do that sometimes, because especially if maybe you're a person that's an evangelist, right, and you just really want to go that way, because you just want to go all about, you know, who Jesus is in you, and how that happens, you want to talk about sanctification, and justification, and all those terms that actually came up in the text this week, but you that's a distraction if you have it first nailed down why is he talking about that subject right any questions on that okay all right so that's where we're at that kind of lays the 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 boundaries for us now we know where we're centered we are focused on the subject of divisions that there are divisions among them and we want to break it down and see how does paul go about bringing them out of division and into some kind of unity right to bring them back into the focus of not division okay so let's start by doing the basic skills of inductive study here let's do some observations once we do our observations we are going to i think we'll do over here we're going to do this i've got i've got my uh, my chart a little crazy here but let's do our our chapter theme and paragraphs. That's one of my favorite things to do here whenever I do my homework. And we're going to also look at word studies. And I might have to move on to this board to do this. If we have time, we are going to look at um, the church. church's identity and we'll take a look at these keywords that we've looked at i am going to hit at least a few keywords because um, word studies okay we're gonna do some of those all right so that kind of shows you i wanted to do um We might need two areas. I'm going to leave it just like that so I have a space if I need it. Okay. All right. I should have thought of that out a little bit before we started. Okay, so let's start with observations. I'm rambling, right? Stop rambling. <laughs> okay. Let's start with your keywords because when you are doing inductive work, one of the ba- most basic principles you start with, the first tool you start with, is looking for key repeated words. Because what do key to repeated words do for you? Well, but what do keywords do for you? Okay, a theme or a subject gets presented by doing it. By noting what gets repeated a lot, you actually pick up on what the subjects are that he is going to be addressing. So let's start there. Let's talk about those keywords and you give them to me. What did you find for keywords? Now Kay was awfully generous this week. Did you all notice that? She practically gave you all of them, but she did not give them all. So I'm hoping that you went on beyond what she asked you to do. Tell me what you found for keywords in this chapter. Okay, very big one. called. How big was the word "called for you? Oh boy, we're there. Lots of them. We're going to talk about that a little bit more here. Tell me the next keywords that you found. Chosen. Say it again? Chosen. Oh, chosen. Yes. Sorry, I couldn't hear. It's my ears. <laughs> All right. Wisdom. And and while we're at it, let's look at some contrasts. Because you bring up wisdom, right? And what does it get contrasted with? Foolishness. So foolishness could also become a key word as well, right? Right? All right. Always. Always mark God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? The Trinity. You want them all in there. God and Jesus. And we did those actually as lists this week, too. So that was reinforced to you simply by the fact that in the homework, she said, I want you to make a list on those. How extensive was your list on God and Jesus? huge all of a sudden you find out God and Jesus although in the beginning you just were seeing about divisions and quarrels but now all of a sudden going well wow there's a whole lot more in here about God and Jesus than there are about their quarrels right the quarrels are explained but it's minuscule in comparison to the list on God and Jesus right all right thank you very good good catch baptized or baptism or what how all the various forms of that word yes very good catch boasting yes all right and does how does boast relate to the subject matter that's going on in this book there you go so the division issue that comes up the subject of divisions and it's divisions among whom did did they list who the divisions were specifically for them what were the divisions various teachers and so forth okay and so then when it closes this book in the very last verse where it says don't boast in men but boast in the Lord right then it makes sense why it actually would close with that statement because so now what you see is when you get to the bottom line on this although there's tons of information in there about God and Jesus and the doctrines of the church yet the the beginning and the ending of it bookends on it were all about not boasting in men but boasting in the Lord get your focus off of who men but put your focus on who the Lord okay so boasting becomes therefore a very essential word even though it isn't used often it it actually hits at home with the entire subject of this particular chapter all right um any other contrasts that you want to bring up to me when you did your contrast list in your homework time what did you see Okay, wisdom of God versus the foolishness of men or or wisdom of men. I think it's interesting when you put them together like this, because... The foolishness of men and the wisdom of men are the same thing in the eyes of God, right? That's what we came to see by looking at that. Weakness and strength. Okay. Yeah, so again, he's going on about, so he's actually making, it, I want to try to hone that one down, Diane, just a little bit more clearly. Now, certainly on your observation, you would have made the, the obvious thing, wisdom and strength, right, or uh, weakness and strength. That would have been the obvious contrast as you proceed through that particular section what verses are you in now let's see because it's got to be yeah okay 25 because the foolishness of God is wiser than men the weakness of God is stronger than men okay so you you can focus on saying strength and weakness as being the contrast but what is the real contrast in that God, and men. It's about versus God versus man. Who is actually the wise one and who is actually the strong one versus the other, right? So it could actually even be a God versus men statement. Could it not? Yes. Okay. So you have both. I'm not negating the one for the other, but I'm almost saying the one leads you to the other. If you kind of Reason it through a little bit to say systemically, what is he actually saying here? I know, that's kind of a funny statement because is God ever foolish? No, of course not. So, what do you think he was saying when he did that? He was, it's a ridiculousness type of statement. It's like, it's even ridiculous to compare man's wisdom to God's wisdom. Do we have any scriptures floating around in our brains about that, about the difference between God's wisdom and man's? Yes, yes, exactly. So, yeah, and God never has a worse day, right? (laughs) Right. But on on man's best day, he's still nowhere near where God is on his brilliance, right? He's he is the all-knowing, all-seeing God. He has he has he is the one who created it, and therefore he has full knowledge of it. And yet we think we are going to tell him something. There are so many passages in Scripture that talk about this. You know, wh- the potter and the clay, kind of a th- statement as well. You know, who are you to t- oh man to tell the the potter what to do with the clay, right? All right. What else do we have? Any other contrasts you want to bring up? I liked, I think, good, good catch on that. Those perishing. And that's versus those being saved. So when you look at that particular subject, I should be putting uh, these verses in here too, Phil. 18 on perishing okay all right all right um all right so when you get into some of the, there's some things in here that are actually not just word contrast but they're thought contrasts right it's like this thought versus this thought do you what did you see glenn i see you nodding do you see do you have anything in particular that you were thinking of the bigger picture of when you, when you look at these contrasts, sometimes it's a word versus a word, dark versus light, or like wisdom versus foolishness, right? But sometimes it's bigger, bigger things. It's like a whole concept versus another whole concept, right? Um, did you see any bigger contrasts of issues or points or Okay. Yes. And that puts the focus on the cross. There you go. Very good. All right. So there's a good kind of a, a bigger, it's again, it takes you to a bigger thought more, rather than on a word, it takes you to a concept or doctrine, even, right? Okay. That's right. Yeah. And it, and that brings up another, uh, and we didn't really address it at all in our homework and, and we won't be, but there's a little underlying teaching on that then too, about who, who is it that comes into salvation? Who is being saved? If the message is foolishness to the world that is not being saved, then who is being saved? The, the chosen. And what does the text actually tell us about the ones that do come into faith? faith of the world. Um, I'm looking for the word. Hold on a second. Verse 21. It talks about, for since in the wisdom of, the, of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message. Foolish to who? was God, here's another one, Pat, does God's message foolish? No, of course not, so it's, it's, it's speaking almost tongue-in-cheek in here, and it's saying, no, it's not a foolish message, but it is foolish to some. Who is it foolish to? Those that are perishing, and so that brings up a subject that you'd almost have to research, is why do some people view the word of God as foolish, right? Well, in here, I think it gives us a clue. Right after that, it says, uh, it's through the foolishness of the message preached, he's going to do what? He's going to save who? Those that believe. So now we have the subject of believing factoring into the difference between whether or not you think something is foolish or whether or not it's something that will be the power of God to save you, right? Saving, God's saving grace, God's saving power, somehow is linked to your believing. The message that was preached does that follow true I- anywhere else in scripture? Yes yes, and it was reckoned to him as righteous, very nice, nicely done. I know what can you say it's you know it 's a natural overflow that, well, and I thought about Hebrews you know where um, they didn 't yoke it their the, what was preached to them was not united with faith and so they basically they perished in the wilderness in chapter at the end of chapter three in the first part of chapter four four in hebrews is all about entering into the rest of god and why didn't some of them enter into the rest of god because they would not unite what they heard with with um their faith they wouldn't unite it with faith and so here we see the same message that faith seems to be the catalyst into which transforms a person from th- thinking the message of the cross is foolishness to making that move into the, the message of the cross is the power of God to save. And yet the world views it as foolishness. All right, so that gives us a foundation now. Once you kind of do this kind of work here, you you lay down these words, you you parse out as much as you can. Then she says, begin to make um, uh, lists on each of your keywords. Why does she take you there first before she has you do your paragraphs? Why do you think that is? Is there a method or, to her... Reasoning in all of this, what do you think? Well, it it helps you to slow down and see what what whole themes and what's repeated. Mm -hmm. Right. So, literally, the exercise of slowing down and list making helps you kind of uh, chew on the word, meditate on the word, really kind of break it down into to smaller pieces. And depending on what list you're making, it helps you draw out points on different aspects of what's being laid out for us in this, right? So what she had us do is look at God, look at Jesus, now look at the church, look at the word chosen was another one she had to do that on. And she says, make lists on this. So why are you making lists? The purpose in list making is not to have a list it's not it's function is not just you know for no reason at all the point to it is is it slows you down so that you actually take pieces out and you start to meditate on it you actually view it more more deeply it's an intenser look at what god is saying and by parsing it out into these little bullet points that you have in a list helps you to really analyze what's being said and all of a sudden something comes to your attention that you didn't see before and you start making connections, and you start really diving m- more deeply into the undertone of what the author is, is suggesting. And Because I do not think on the surface, if you don't dig into this book y- like we have this week, you are not going to come to see the point to this as he's trying to bring them into unity. You're just going to be all focused on the d- division that's going on. You're going to see that su- surface, uh, issue and you're going to cruise right, o- you know, just cruise right on past the rest of it. Having a good definition of the words is going to increase your understanding when you've got the- okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. And so that's then the next step. So the first step is make all your lists. Why are you doing that? So that you slow down and really chew up the word. You want to really meditate on it. You want to really break it down so that you're starting to pull out points that you may have missed otherwise. And then secondarily, then she has us move into keyword studies. Keywords, we talked about this already uh, earlier, but the keywords, as you said, helps you to have an expounded understanding of the point that's being made. And sometimes, actually, a key word will help you to really solidify something. Something that maybe you didn't see before even will now become very profound and make it all make sense, right? Why did he use that word? Oh, I see that relates to this subject here. And that's why he said that. And where before it would have just read right past it. So these processes that you guys are going through, sometimes they feel mundane and they feel a little bit regimented, especially when you're first learning, when you're first learning this process, it, it sometimes you can get an attitude of, I already know what's in there. I don't need to do this. But I'm telling you, if you will slow down, God speaks to your heart when you're doing this list making this is it's a very deeply personal time of that you're committing to him it's really an act of worship And as you're worshiping the Lord, you're making these lists and you're listening to his spirit speaking to you and he's pointing things out to you. Sometimes they're very minute points, but all of a sudden they can become very profound in your personal relationship with him. And certainly what they are going to do is build a solid foundation of insight so that when you pull back then to look at the chapter on the whole, you can see the real flow of thought. Where before it may have looked disjointed to you, now it flows. Okay, so that's the goal of doing lists and doing word studies this week. It, it has its function which is really h- valuable for us. Okay, so now let's, maybe that's what we should do. Maybe let's go ahead and do um, a little bit on the, on the church. W- we did God and we did Jesus as well, um, Well, just briefly let's do that. Tell me, I'm not gonna write this down, but just tell me. What did you learn about God when you did your word studies this your list rather this week? And I can't tell you how many word studies I did in this. It was like my half my page is word studies. Yes. Tell me what you learned about God from this text. Yes.
1: Yes. He made covenants all the way along with Abraham,
0: Moses, David. Yes. And God is faithful to these things. He will never step back. That's an interesting point, Glenn, especially when you unite it with the rest of the sentence. What does the rest of the sentence then say? And it says, To you who were called, so he, and called into fellowship. There you go. In into fellowship with who? with his son Jesus Christ now this is very interesting so if he's faithful and the subject of faithfulness always goes back to covenant and God's promises to us his promise was that he would send us a a savior right the Christ the Lord who, who is now come and he's saying in there and when you were called you were called into fellowship with who Jesus Christ as opposed to what was the problem They were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of, right? So what were they thinking their fellowship seemed to be in? with the teacher that they were sitting under, the teacher that they admired. And then Paul goes into this, this little spiel about who he did and did not baptize, and he's trying to, first he says, I didn't do any, well, maybe I did do a few, and you know, sounds familiar, right? Well, I never did that, well, maybe I did do that once or twice, but really I don't do that, <laughs> you know, and so, but it's really interesting to me how he, there's actually a contrast then, actually, that's being set up for us by that statement, it was, that is that you have not been called into fellowship with men. Your primary fellowship calling was into fellowship with God's Son Jesus Christ, and by lieu, by way of that, you become a, a corporate body. So, the corporate body is is important and it has its function, but is it your primary love? What is what is uh, Revelation teaches the letter to the church at Ephesus the biggest the rebuke that was to them was they had done what you have lo- you have left your first love right and because they had lost the passion for the primary thing that was supposed to be their focus there was problems yet that church was commended for doing all kinds of great things but their focus had gone off of Jesus as their first love and on to other things in their case it had to do with works in this case it has to do with what men Right? Okay. Very good. Nice job. Okay. So what else? That was one point about God. Do you see how we could be here all day? (laughs) Are there any other major things in here that you'd like to just kind of tick off real quickly so we don't spend tons of time, but we want to hit a few? Yes. Yes. Wow, Pat, that's a great list. You, did you say this is your first time doing precept? Yes, but I wow, you did a good job, Pat. Yeah, but you know, but but honestly, Pat, now that you've done that list, did you see how simple that was to do? I even thought about it the next day. Isn't that neat? yes and that's its point the point is to get you to pay attention to one subject at a time see what is the text telling you about that subject and list your facts and some I can tell you I have had more tears of joy and moments of real of real fellowship with God just from list making I get a list done sometimes and sit back and read it and it's like wow I I mean that's my God yes I know, but Pat, are you getting persuaded at all in this? I mean, the experience of it, yeah, see, I know a lot of people don't like lists. But, but it's okay, Pat. You know what? You're learning something new, and God brought you for a reason, right? And the discipline that you're getting through this is going to benefit you greatly, because you are going to develop your doctrines. You're going to develop your knowledge of who God is. You're also, just the fact that you're willing to discipline yourself in this way for the Lord, it's a gift to God, you know? it's, it's And that's building your relationship, and it will be rewarded. I guarantee it okay so all right now that was an excellent list let's flip over to jesus now i had an interesting conversation with diane earlier where she was saying okay so how do you kind of split the hairs between god and jesus because isn't god actually jesus yes right but there are there are des- designed offices that are distinct each of them had a role to play yes there they are one and in essence my answer to her was, when you hit a verse where you can't really tell, is this speaking about God or is this speaking about Jesus, put the information on both lists and, and be okay with that. Now, if you really wanted to br- break it down and, and um, if you absolutely had to know, is this God or is this Jesus, you would outline your text and find what links back to whom and where it takes you back to. Eventually, it would, l- it would link you back. That's called structuring. But structuring is a skill that we, I don't teach because I don't do it very well. I, 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 it's a hit and miss for me. I try. Um, if it's clear, I can handle it. But sometimes they get complicated. One of the things I found out, though, in, in time has passed through the years and I figures a few things out that they don't really make clear, don't ever try to structure historical books. You can't structure historical books. I did not know that. No one ever told me that. So I was back in the, you know, in the Old Testament trying to structure to find out certain things, right? Doesn't work. Do it in the letters, but you cannot do it in the Old Testament, okay? In those, in those prophetic words or poetry, it doesn't work. Okay, now, uh, tell me about Jesus. What did we learn about him? Thank you. Okay. The church is sanctified in Christ Jesus, okay? That's in 1-2. Say it again. Yes, yes, we call on. That's very interesting, especially considering the subject matter we're talking about. Whose name are they calling on? Yeah, yeah. And as Paul says, "Was were you baptized in my name? right? But here the contrast is whose name are you actually calling on? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a subtle point you would not pick up on had you not been doing contrasts and had you not been making lists. But as soon as you made your list, you went, oh, call on his name. I've heard that before, the name, name, name thing. Then you go back and you look at it and you're going, wow, there's a contrast. You didn't even pick up on it before, right? The list showed that to you. Excellent. Okay. The grace of God is given to us in Christ Jesus. Excellent. Grace, did you look up grace? Good, Glenn. Oh, that's great insight. Do you know what that means, guys, if it's talking about the Sabbath rest? What is it talking about? The kind of peace that brings what? Results in what? Salvation. Very good. Nice. very good oh excellent because that is in fact what grace is first of all it is it is offered by God which and man does not offer right it's God's idea it's God's um uh what is the right word initiative thank you that's the right word God's initiative I'm having trouble with words in my mind tonight for some or today um all right so I want to back up because I love what you just said about that. I want to go back up, even breaking down. When you broke down about Jesus, did you break down Jesus, Christ, and the Lord? And if you didn't, put that on your list because each of those titles have their own def- definition and meaning, and they each are significant. And the insights about them, when you do your word studies on them, are profoundly significant into the text that we're looking at, right? They have implications of understanding and broadening your understanding of what's being said, okay? All right, so excellent. Any others? Also, saints and sanctified. Yes. Those have to do with our being
1: called. They both come from the base of the same word, hagios. The word saint sancti- is hagios. The word
0: sanctified is hagiazo. Mm-hmm. But they come from the same word. Right, same word to, mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, hold that thought a little bit more, and we're going to do that together on the board when we get once we get into the uh, outline of it. But I want so that's so in Christ we are sanctified, or through Christ the church is sanctified in Christ Jesus. Um, any? Did you learn anything else about Jesus? We were enriched in Him. Enriched in Him. That that's an interesting little. Yes. So, what subjects kind of does that bring up? There's another doctrine here that's being alluded to without it being clearly stated yet. What is the doctrine speaking to? Spiritual gifts. Yeah. All right. Very good. And it's in all speech in all. and all. I love the way that I think he, he follows it on by saying, let's see if I can remember right. Um, you've been, okay, let me find, what verse are we in? um there was that in everything you were enriched in him and then it tells you how you were enriched and it says even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you right and how it was confirmed in you was by your what by your gifts the gifts that were given to you the speech and the all knowledge so the insight in other words do you remember the contrast that we've stated up here about wisdom and foolishness and how the world views it the fact that he says, "I've that in Christ you were enriched in Him with all speech and all knowledge." The co- the idea of having that wisdom and knowledge means that you are not foolish any longer, but you now have the wisdom of God in you. Very cool. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, to, if you didn't know for sure, they was speaking about spiritual gifts, and you're you are like I'm not sure that's right well he says it in the very next verse (laughs) so that you're not lacking in any gift and then uh, here's another point about Jesus what follows it awaiting eagerly what the revelation of Jesus Christ now what is that speaking to his second coming right awesome Okay, so now we've kind, you can see how valuable spending time looking at who is God and who is Jesus is in your personal relationship and knowledge of him. Absolutely essential in fully understanding the point that Paul is going to be making here in a moment. I think that if we move over now and take a, let's take a look at the church itself, and then we'll do some outlining after we get just a little bit on the church up here. Tell me what we learned about the church's identity. Okay. And give me your reference number. Okay, verse two. Okay, saints by calling. And, um, Okay, it says by calling, who call, I'm going to finish it here, who call on the name of Jesus? Okay, yeah, you get a bunch of points out of this one, didn't you? all right. The grace, yes, the grace of God was given to them. And how was it given to them? In Christ. Did you notice the repeated subject here? That in each one of these, every time you hit one of these, it seems like it ends with the added uh, information that it's in Christ Jesus, right? So it's God is doing this in Christ Jesus. God, God gave you his grace in Christ Jesus. You are saints by calling uh, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ all right, go on. Then you said in all speech, right? You mentioned this already. I'm just going to put it. You are enriched in him. Him who? Jesus, (laughs) right? In him. And then it's in all speech and all knowledge. Those are extra insights that you don't need to necessarily put on your list unless you want it but even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you okay so you were enriched in Jesus so who were you not enriched in Paul you weren't enriched in Cephas right you weren't enriched in Apollos you were enriched in so by making this list by the time you get finished what you can do is you can see a repeated pattern right so you go back there, it's by Christ Jesus, in the name of Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, and in him. So now you're beginning, just by making a list on the church and how, and who they are, you begin to see the emphasis about the church, and it draws it to who? To Christ Jesus. Isn't that an amazing? This is what you call objective observation. You're able to make your list, and you step back, And it is what it is because you've taken the words directly from the text to your list. You've put in a scripture verse at the end. And by doing that, you're not now being subjective and saying, well, I think it's this verse, right? Well, then everybody just has to believe that you've got some insight somewhere. But the question for us as inductive students always should be, how did you come to that conclusion? right? And if it's a truth statement, and you've got the, an accurate interpretation on what's going on in your chapter, you should be able to do what we just did, show an objective, you know, a hands-off kind of a way of saying, this is what's going on here, this is what's being emphasized. And so far, that's exactly what we see here. Um, now there are some additional things that are very interesting drop down to verse 9 now one of them it says they were also confirmed blameless you might want to put that on your list right and that was an eight so I'm just going to kind of blaze over that one for right now in one eight but move down to nine I'm going to camp on that one again what do you see Huh, you were called into fellowship with Jesus. That's a cool word too. Yes. That's good. <laughs> I like that contributory health. I wish we could just like spread that one around, huh? Okay, you were called into fellowship, um, Now, interesting. Now, tell me why do you think in this particular one where he says you were called into fellowship with basically God's son, his son, God's son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why do you think that title, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is used right here? Why not just say Jesus or or Jesus Christ, but why did he extend it and he said Jesus Christ, our Lord? Yes, God's son. Or, or. Okay, authority, obedience, right? So, so you're camping on which word in that? The word Lord. So the fact that he added the word Lord into this, it, it, it helps you to see a strong pulling into one quality about who Jesus Christ is for the church. He is the church's what? Lord. And by definition, the word Lord is what? I was over in this list. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> I'm to put. Yes. Okay. Master. Authority. Any others? Did you Did you guys look them up? Who else looked them up? Okay. Nobody. I'll just. I'll. Very good. Right. we're all participants. Isn't that amazing? So if he is the head, and he is the leader, and he is, it says, uh, it's the, in this case, Lord is to, he to whom a person uh, or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding, he is the master, he is the possessor, basically he's the ruler over it, right? And so now, how does that fit then when he says you're called into fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord? How does that relate to what the problem is in the church? Does it relate? Yeah. He's saying, look, you guys are all divided out there. Do we have that problem in the church today? Do we have divisions in our churches? What what kind of things do we argue over that relates to Exactly to what's going on here. In Kay Author's lectures when we were doing Colossians,
1: he talked about a church that was so weak spiritually that they split over the
0: color of carpet they were choosing. Oh, my goodness. That's ridiculousness, isn't it? Well, that, and, that, that, and that's really petty stuff. In this church, they're fighting over n- men that are leading them, right? Well, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, it's not men that you're to be following. It's the Lord who is the the master and the ruler and the 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 um, basically the one who's overseeing you, right? So it's He that you're to be following, and He says, therefore, Jesus Christ is the one. He, let me look at this here. Um, you were called into fellowship with His Son. You were not called into fellowship with men. That's really what the contrast statement would be to this, right? It doesn't, there's not a statement in here that says fellowship with men. But is that not what they're saying back there in, in that verse in um, 12 where he says, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and I am of Cephas? In our churches today, we have the same thing. We have teachers. That want to divide us we also have other kinds of divisions like churches what church do you belong to oh i belong to this church No, oh, i belong to that church right this is my pastor that's my pastor or denominations even yes There you go. We're losing our focus of where our, you know, one of the greatest things for me as a, as a Christian that happened in my life that God used as a training tool was making me a military wife, you know, and spending all those years being put into uh, congregational gatherings that were diverse broadly diverse. You, you had every, you know, basically it was Protestant and Catholic. Those were the only divisions we had. Well, gospel, and we had gospel. But we, we really did not have denominations in the same way that you have in the, in the uh, world in America. We had a much more focused ability to be united. And what we learned to do was to um, work through our differences and be conciliatory in the ways that we could not on doctrine we wouldn't bend on doctrine but we and we would stand firmly in those but on those little petty things we would just work it out unity comes when you understand the one you're following is not your denomination but it's who it's Christ Jesus your Lord your Lord and ours do you remember that verse where does he say that all the way back at the beginning when he opens, right? He talks about the church. Your Lord and uh, their Lord and ours. Yes? Yes. Sure, that can definitely cause quarrels. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And you know, some of that stems from the, diver- the diversity of spiritual giftings. And so some people see one thing is more important than another, right? And we get in our corners and we say, well, you, you know, right oh that church was facing we're going to get more and more into that and this week kay only had you read commentaries from verse 1 to 12 so we didn't get a whole lot but hopefully you did get some background insights by reading uh, maybe the introductory part to, Cor- to the Corinthian letter on the whole, about who, who is the city and what were they involved with and what was the influences that they were battling? What was causing this? Why does the subject of knowledge and wisdom keep coming up in this book? Hopefully we're going to get to a place where we can talk about that more. We ha- I haven't seen it come up in the homework yet. Um, and if we don't stay on task, we'll miss this. But um, yeah, go ahead, Pat. and walk out yes yes and you know there's the only time that that should be a reality is if you don't know if a Christian is preaching or not in your church that shouldn't be a question right it shouldn't be whether you like the person's personality or whether you like their style more it should be more about are they preaching the the gospel truth right all right nice okay so here we see then the church's identity in those okay let's look at the word calling first by calling you were to that was a word you were to look up so let's get this on the board so we can have a good definition that's in chapter 1 verse 2 to begin with and the number is twenty-eight, twenty-two k-l-e-t-o-s it is an adjective just so you might want to know that i don't know but all right tell me what did you learn about the word calling by calling huh isn't that interesting it's actually the word invited now what does the word invited convey to you and me Yeah, right, part A. Okay, Susan, you and me, (laughs) later. (laughs) Yes, that's my girl. All right, but yeah, there you go. That's my point. I thought of that immediately. I went, isn't that interesting? The the very first thing that says it's an invitation. And if you receive an invitation, what does that tell you? There can be some who will say no and some who will say yes, right? So it's an invitation. It is the word called, by the way. We'll just add that up there. Called to invite. A request. Okay. Call. or demand. Yeah. Okay. Make a request, Re- requesting of them for something, right? In the calling, a requesting of them. Yes. Okay, so now in that definition, what they did is they went to the context of the verse that they were looking at where that word was being used, and they made a direct interpretation from the text. So in that text, now the word calling in other places is not going to mean that, right? But in this context, and and was it actually Colossians that they were quoting out of? Do you know? It didn't say on your... right good yeah i know i know but sometimes in the definitions they'll actually say they're quoting a certain okay you don't know that's okay 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 so it's invited say say it again low oh summoned by god to an office or salvation very cool all right very good very good selected and appointed Okay, very good. Now, this is one of the words she did not ask you to look up that I think you should have looked up. But to me, this one is absolutely key to figuring out what is chapter uh, paragraph one. How does it tie into the message on the whole? If you haven't looked up the word apostle, you would probably not totally grab hold on this. The, the word apostle does is exactly what he says. It's a messenger. Uh, one cent, a delegate, and then there's a verse I want you guys to look up. Somebody look up John thirteen sixteen. If someone would find that for me really quick because, and then I want us to consider how does this title and this word definition of who Paul is how does it tie in with what we're looking at in the chapter on the whole? What do you see? What is the wor- that verse? I tell you the truth no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Wow. So if the if the no one is greater than the one who sent him. So if Paul is one who has been sent, the implication then is that who sent him is greater. Who sent him? It says in here God did that right he's an or uh, by he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So God sent him and he's an apostle representing who? Jesus Christ. So now what does that do in the context of our flow of thought here uh, in, in, concerning Paul? I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. Right? It's and it's not about me. There's, I love that book. It's not, it's, it's not all about me, right? It's about Jesus, right? So by defining that word right there, you begin to break down what you see going on in the chapter on the whole. It opens the chapter by giving a very significant statement that means, I mean, otherwise you just look at that word apostle and see it as a title, and you just, you just go right past it. But in this case, that title is used for a very deliberate purpose. It's to say to you, he was sent. He was not the leader. Don't be putting your, your eggs in my basket. Don't, I did not baptize you. I was not crucified for you, as he says later, right? He, he says, I am an apostle, one sent. And the one sent is not greater the one, than the one who sent them. Pretty insightful, isn't it? I love that. Yes, exactly. It, it draws the line. that says, oh, I'm, I'm just the messenger, right? And I'm a s- fellow servant as you are. He says that o- often in those references with the angels. All right. Um, I want to look at another word here, the word made complete in 110 we talked earlier about, you know, with the focus of, of um, the author's general purpose. We know he's addressing these problems that were presented and when he's going to be addressing all the questions that they had. So we're going to hit subject and subject and subject. What ties it all together in, in a, as far as being a letter of c- correction, rather than just saying it's a letter of instruction and correction it's he has a design purpose in this and i think by defining this word right here made complete it's very helpful to see how that statement is actually significant so made complete is the is number 20 oh, 26 sorry let me get that right 26 uh 75. did anybody else look that one up by chance yay glenn you are you are my man today Whew. Yes, well, they're a unit, but yes, okay. But the same, they join teleos with a, a prefix. Yes. he said it is um, yeah to to take to you right it has, and it has to do with the
1: covenant the covenant is now complete my death is now complete. okay all
0: okay for all yes but okay so when you see it though in this context and you unite it with the word made complete it's this word here k a t a r i t i z o okay and by joining those things together, the emphasis being rather than upon the idea of perfection or completeness as in what he was speaking about at the cross, it goes beyond that. It says here it's to, it's to render, i.e. to fit, to perfectly join together, complete, and this is the, I thought I think real significant, to mend what has been broken or rent, isn't that interesting? To repair, uh, meaning to make one what he ought to be, in some context, to mend what was rent or to restore. And there are lots of scripture verses here that go with this. Yes? That goes the word division, and then the word division is like Yeah, you go. So division means to rent, and to be made complete means to mend. Isn't that interesting? I love it. Too. Didn't that give you goosebumps? I mean, it just makes you go, oh my gosh, the, 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 the choosing of words is such a divine appointment in the Word of God, how he chooses the right words to say the right thing, and how we miss it so much in English that, I mean, I wish we all just spoke Greek, you know, we would get it so much better. But the idea that then being made complete, then, let's go over here, made complete... is a contrast to divisions. Isn't that interesting? It is so cool. I had one of my, now I went into um, another another little, tool that you can use when you're doing inductive study is to use various Bible translations and take a verse that you're looking at and go look at it in two or three other Bible translations just to get it from a few different perspectives on word choosings, right? And one of the things that they said about being made complete was that word made could be the word united. You could actually say united complete, which Then it becomes much more apparent that it's a contrast to the divisions. That now he's wanting to reunite them and make them complete. And being complete in whom, by the way? What have we discovered? In Jesus Christ, not in men, right? That's the opposition problem. Make complete. So let's put this up here. Um, To mend. To repair, to restore is another way of looking at it. Make, and then again, to fit perfectly, or to f- and to join together. I like that one. Join together. Wow. Boy, does that fit in perfectly with the flow of thought. Okay, so now let's spin the next bit. I mean, there are lots more and they're all really good words and they're all really, is there anyone that really has a burning hunger to hit one key word that they just don't want to miss, that they saw something really profound in it? Because for me, the ones that really hit me were made complete and apostle. And neither of those were on your list for this week. But I thought that they were really profound in coming to really seeing the flow of thought in the chapters. So now what's gone on is you have spent all this time looking at keywords, marking them, then making lists to develop your insight. It helps broaden your understanding, it helps you hone in on things that you would have missed. Then you go to word studies. Your word studies then broaden your perspective of insight like these words did for us. All of a sudden, those things make so much better sense in the verse. Why did Paul... You know, as he always does. But why does Paul here, and why is it significant here that he calls himself an apostle? Because it puts him positionally under Jesus Christ. He is not the the one that they are to p- be looking for as their leader, right? And then to be made complete means to reunite, to put together, to uh, to render, to fix what was rent, right? And so th- there is, would you say there was a renting at this point in this church? Yeah, they had divisions. So the contrast is between being made complete and the divisions that were going on. So his his role here, his job here, his intent here is to make them complete. All right, now let's go into chapter themes and see if we can see the flow of thought of all this. Because this this is the part that I th- always find to be so fun. I love this part. Okay. Um i have to fold this over so i can keep my focus where it needs to be i keep losing my eye contact okay we want to do a chapter theme which means basically a title right for the book and then we want to look at each of the um, divisions so what do we want to say about the first three verses what's going on in the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 1. What did it look like to you when you first went in there? It was just a greeting, and then that, and you're like, okay, it's a greeting, and you move on, right? But now what do you know? What is Paul actually doing? Oh, hey, you know what, before I do this, I'm sorry, one thing else I want to do because I think it's going to help in, in the way we're going to look at this and, ha- and how we've broken it down. Did anyone happen to notice when they marked the word called, have, if you didn't notice it at first, did you really notice what it showed you after you marked the word called? What do you see about the word calling and called in this chapter? How often does it come up? Where does it begin and where does it Go through. Uh huh. And goes all the way to the very last paragraph, doesn't it? So, would you say that it's consistently basically flowing through the whole book and it's a repeated word everywhere? Objectively, you would say, wow, that's interesting. Okay, when you look at the other keywords, for instance, let's look at this word baptized. He brought the word baptized up, right? Earlier. Where do you see baptized mis- mentioned? Through, yeah, so it's actually in ten to seventeen, mostly, right? I mean, in that in that segment or that paragraph. Uh, what about um, let's see? Let me look at the let's. How about we look at the word foolishness and wisdom? That was another word that we picked up on. Where where does it seem to lie? So it's kind of in a in a concise area again, right? What about the word chosen? It's all right at the very end, isn't it? Chosen, all in the end. So what does that help you to do as an inductive student? What have you now just observed? Right. And so it seems like it it starts with the word calling seems to be really prominent in the first three Uh, in the first three verses it's used three times in three verses wow so would you say calling is the major word in that first paragraph Yes. yes now but we also see that calling goes through the whole book or through the whole chapter rather right so now what we know is calling is a chapter theme word has to be somewhere for your whole theme because it calling 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 it's all through the whole thing it seems like he and he hits on a subject like baptism but then he comes back to the calling and then he hits on the the subject choosing but then he brings you back to calling right so if, so this shows you huh it's foundation i know is not it but it's just so cool what i love about the methodology that we're doing here is the method shows you your paragraph divisions by the keywords and it shows you your 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 key um, subject for the whole chapter by having marked your keywords. so having marked your keywords, you see "called from beginning to end. Now you know the whole chapter is about the calling, right? And you see that in chapter one, it's about who's calling. Paul's calling. So concerning Paul's calling, what have you learned? How was he called? Who called him? He was called by God. By the will of God, right? So, and he was called as what? An apostle. And what did we learn about an apostle? He's being sent by a messenger, and he is not over the messenger. He is beneath the messenger. Wow, interesting. So your very first paragraph needs to be titled what? About Paul, that he was called, right? How? as an apostle of who? Oh, of Jesus. Oh, you can add that in there. I think, what does it say? Does it say there or does it just go on into the will of God? It is of Jesus Christ. Okay, so you can put that in there. By the will of God. It's a long title, but does it accomplish stating to you something about being called? Since we know the call, being called and calling is the major theme, because you see that keyword run through the whole chapter. Does chap does the title we just gave accomplish explaining to you what, how he was called, or why he was called, or when he was called, or does it? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, Paul was called. How was he called? As an apostle. Apostle of who? Of Jesus Christ. Who did the calling? By the will of God. So that statement now accomplishes uh, the subject matter of the calling, the, that is being the primary. Move to the next chapter, the next par- yeah, paragraph, rather, four to nine, verses four to nine. Wow, was that easy or what, Susan? Oh my gosh, you were called. Called to called where? And by who? By God, to do what? Into fellowship with who? Huh. I had to shorten that. I'm sorry. Hope that doesn't offend anybody. I ran out of room. <laughs> okay, Paul was called as an apostle in, in one to three, and in four to nine, you were called. And where were you called? Into fellowship with who? Jesus Christ. So, going back to the church's again identity again, are we seeing a connection here with the church's identity and what we're seeing over here? Is it kind of flowing in the same manner? That who's the focus on? Or by the will of God by God and th- and for Jesus Christ so the focus is upon God again in all of those statements right so the problem is divisions what's the solution Jesus, Jesus. fix refocusing their priority of attention their priority of affection and love their pro- and and to therefore result in unity yay Yes, it does. It is supposed to be his church. And do you think that we could actually solve an awful lot of issues if we could just get people to focus in this manner? Yeah, we really could. Because what we would do is we would we would wean out an awful lot of discord that's just so unnecessary. You know, it would be like... The, the pettiness sometimes of our distractions and that and that this is really a petty thing, and so Paul was actually facing this so there's nothing new under heaven again, right this has been going on since the birthing of the church and it has continued through the ages and it is still present in our churches today and the solution is to do what yeah f- refocus your f- yeah it to refocus on him. But what's interesting to me is people get into even the scripture and they start arguing about the petty things rather than looking to see what was the real issue here. The heart of the issue was that they had lost their first love. They had stopped paying, uh, putting their focus upon Jesus Christ and they were following men. And what was interesting is historically what was going on in the city of Corinth in those days was their their uh love for wisdom and people with the ability to um give great speeches and you know the they loved the person who was smooth with the way that they presented things so here comes Paul and from everything that I'm learning um just recently again about Paul is he was not smooth he was not a great speaker. He was not even attractive to look at. And so he was kind of an an interesting dude. He came in and he preached the word and he preached it with clarity and he was and he was sound in what he was saying. But just because he didn't flatter them in a way or didn't he di- he didn't um he didn't have the charisma basically, to draw people to him. So they're, they had broken down into some factions and divisions, and they stopped taking their eyes off Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of their faith, and had put their eyes upon men. Okay, 4 to 9, so now let's move on to uh, 10 to 17. At this point it's not about the word calling because we don't see the word calling here do we right the subject is still present as the overriding message but now he's going to give some kind of instruction to them correct because the the this word sometimes he's in- exhorting and sometimes he's instructing so in this uh paragraph 10 to 17 he's giving some kind of an instruction. And he does it through revealing what their problem has been, right? And we've talked about this many times, the problem of, of the factions of who they were following, right? What is Paul's first, I mean, what are some of the provocative things that he says in here about um, why they shouldn't be putting their focus on him? Yeah. Isn't that a, really kind of interesting? I mean, if you. Is Christ being divided? Yeah. Can he be divided even? I mean, the whole idea is ludicrous. It, it is an impossibility. And why are you even trying to do that? And when you break the church down in that manner, how does that. What does that do to the church? It profanes his holy name because then because when men start following men what happens they do and what about the leadership of men is there perfection in that <laughs> yeah they will eventually fail you it is with there. it's inevitable eventually it's going to fail for you so he's saying Paul was not crucified for you you were not baptized into Paul's name and th- I love verse 17. What does he say happens when you do that? W- actually, what he said is I did not come with persuasive words, right? Let me flip my page over here. So he's talking about the being baptized into into each of them and he says but but he says i didn't even come to baptize that was not my agenda as a matter of fact if you you know a little bit of a backdrop on this with in paul's life when he was called by god on the road to emmaus his calling was to do what do you remember kind of a little bit about that Acts study That's right. So it was really clear what God had told him he was to go and do. In that in that agenda that he was given, in that commandment or, or orders to go forth as his apostle, he didn't have orders to go forth and baptize specifically, right? Although generally it says that we're all to go forth and preach and baptize and so forth. But his role, his calling by God was to preach, to preach the gospel. And so he says... Um, I came to preach the gospel and then he goes on to say, not how? Not in cleverness of speech, so that what? Isn't that interesting? What does that mean? Explain that to me. Anybody. He's he a good. very direct speaker. Okay. He didn't he do words. Right, okay. Good. <laughs> Sorry. What happens when you and I, and we all are guilty of this, so it's not just you and me. Um, what happens when we do sit under a pastor or a teacher that is really profound in their ability to, to deliver, a, yeah, not like me, right, that can communicate and can, and like can be really, really um, captivating. They've got a charisma that just draws you in. What happens yeah yeah and and very often what happens is we get hooked on one person. This is something I've really had to discipline myself through the years is I try to be diverse in the people I listen to. Sometimes I listen to people who might, I even know that maybe there's one or two things that we don't agree on in, in in doctrine, but that their fundamental doctrines about Jesus Christ and salvation are solid, but that maybe we have a difference about some little thing. And so I'm willing to set that aside and I listen for it. So I make sure I keep it weeded out, but I still listen to the preaching because the preaching is sound. It's from the word of God it is it is it, it's in uh it's encouraging to me and he brings in a a diversity of message pr- presentation that helps me to grow right but otherwise what happens is we get hooked on one person's message and then what happens well, I think then you okay don't listen trust. yeah they can. And actually, I remember in the letter to the Bereans, what Paul commended them for was what? That's right. He says, you're more noble-minded than those Thessalonians because you heard my message, but then you examined the text to make sure that it was true. And that's what we want to be, is that kind of a listener. If you're so enamored by a particular pastor or or spiritual teacher or leader or Bible study teacher or whatever, if you're so enamored by them that you think that what they say is always 100% correct, you don't even question them, right? You fall, become a victim, really, of following men, because what you, we want to be doing is following God, and together, iron sharpening iron, and we're saying, what do you see? Let's work this out together, and, and we can come to an agreement. Now, Obviously, we can come to an agreement. How often have we done that in this classroom? I mean, we, we start out sometimes on three or four different pages or a hundred. Dif- I mean, however many students there are, we might all be on a different page when we first come in, but as we talk it through and we lay out the, f- the objective facts, and they become objective and we can step back and we can observe it objectively. Then we can start to say, oh, yeah, I can see that you're right, but if it's wrong, and, I, and you guys have done it with me before. I don't see that, right? And I have to make a correction in my course, and I have to go back and say, oh, I think you're right. I messed up on this one. It can happen, right? T- p- men are fallible. Men are not perfect. Even, even a, a person, you know, like a Billy Graham can make a mistake once in a while, can misspeak or his mind is one place and your mind somewhere else and you're totally on different pages it happens We're not perfect that's right and the recipient thank you very much i love that diet that there's my girl of grace um yeah so what paul is saying here is my cleverness of speech i did not come in and really why did god choose paul a man who wasn't clever in speech? Why didn't he pick a Billy Graham who's clever in speech to go out there and be his witness, his apostle? Probably for this very reason, so that the focus would not be on Paul, although we today tend to do that because we don't have him before us. We just have his words, and he's very good on paper, right? Although he's Lengthy in his sentences sometimes, but he 's really, really good, so we can we can really exalt him and put him on a pedestal right but in that day when he was the messenger, he was not a a uh, dynamic messenger. God chose him, he goes on to tell us later he chooses the weak things to shame the the wise, people who think they're wise, people who think they're all that he picked people who are the opposite because in doing that the focus does not stay on the person giving the message but on the message right and the not on um the identity of men but on who in whom's identity you actually are who is Jesus Christ all right now 10 to 17 verses 10 to 17 then here what do we see his his emphasis it's a it's a um instruction at this point There you go. We're back to that one about the being be made complete. Okay be made complete in the same mind and same judgment paul was not crucified for you you were not baptized into paul's name do not make the cross of christ void by drawing attention from christ onto men have no divisions unite in christ's name right 18 to 25 Now, what do you see as key words in 18 to 25? Foolishness and wisdom, and also, K had us work, mark the word cross and crucified, right? So, did you notice that is also a major emphasis in here? So, the contrast is between. Uh, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. So he's talking about the contrast of the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? Yes, and it, and he, it actually, and he, and he and he actually says we preach Christ crucified, right? And then to Jews, that's a stumbling block. And to Gentiles, it is foolishness. But to those who are being called, what? It's the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the contrast here is what they're viewing the message, how they are viewing the message. The message that is the power of God is not smooth speech of men. It's not the way a man presents the gospel. It's not who baptized you, right? the power is Jesus Christ crucified. That's the power of the message. And that is also the power that saves, right? So if you are a church and you're uniting and I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and I am of Cephas, he's saying, no, you're not. You've been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. And now here he says, what is it that actually saved you? the crucifixion the cross of Christ is the power of God that saves those who believe right the foolishness of men is foolishness to them because they want what believe so let's wrap this into a little bow since that's the contrast to not wise men basically don't follow the 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 foolishness of it's actually foolishness but it's called the wisdom of men which is actually foolishness What is, in contrast to that, what are we to focus on? It's talking about the word of the cross in this chapter, or in this paragraph, rather, 18 to 25. The word of the cross is what is your major subject. So how are you going to title that? How did you title it? (laughs) Maybe I should ask that. okay Remember think let me let me help you refocus a little bit again. Go back to your major theme, which is the you've been called right and the major problem which is divisions. so if it's he wants them to be made complete but there's divisions going on, you've been called right but your calling is not by men it's been it's by, God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And the message in this paragraph is that that calling is made how? What is the calling? It's the cross. The cross of Christ is the calling. It's not the message of men. It's not the wisdom of men. It's not the works of men for that matter. It's, and he's going to go on to talk about how he's, how you were chosen and how it shames those other things, Right the calling itself but the calling is the cross of Christ and he says I don't back in 17 he says I didn't come in my cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would not be made void we don't want to diminish the cross of Christ so then he goes into a whole rendition about the cross of Christ and how it contrasts the foolishness of men and the wisdom of God and the wisdom of God is that message of the cross all right. So he actually uses a verse. Did you notice in verse nineteen is a quote? What is that quote? Isaiah twenty nine fourteen. Interesting background on that. Did anybody look at that quote and go back and see what was going on? There was it was uh, Israel and there was wars going on and and it basically it was it boils down to them listening to the wisdom of men and how to handle a situation. I think it was they were going against Egypt, I might be wrong on that, but they were, and so when they made their decision, they made it apart from God, and God's wisdom was, look, you can't do it. The only thing that's going to save you in this situation is my divine intervention and my supernatural provision for you of grace. I am going to win this for you that was what that message was I think it was in first Kings and we're not there yet in our Kings and Prophets study that we have been doing and we're kind of on break from now but when we get there we'll see it more clearly he's really saying though you are relying on your own wisdom you're looking around you're counting your soldiers you're counting your horses you're counting your weaponry right you're looking at the the logistics of things you're trying to strategize it all out using the wisdom of men and he's saying, the wisdom of men is not going to save you. Only the power of God through the supernatural work of God. Does that relate to salvation as well? Think about it. How many of us try to strategize and work it out and think it through and plan it out? How many times, how often did we do that before we came into our faith in Christ and we thought we were handling life pretty good, right? It wasn't until we came to, to bow our knee to God and say, only god can actually save me i can't do it my works are not going to accomplish it and so the foolishness of the cross that men see it as foolishness is actually the power of god for you and i okay now that we see the cross is central the cross is salvation then it makes the divisions foolishness yes thank you very good the cross because be made complete in the cross the divisions are men right you have all these men over here and they're fighting and squabbling over men but the real the real the real unification is Jesus Christ himself and his cross it was that's why Paul said earlier was Paul crucified for you right no I saw that sign myself. I think that, uh, science at one time believed this, but now it doesn't believe that. Very dark, just talking about it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They, uh, we used to think, we taught our children that Pluto was a planet, and now <laughs> it's not. And the world at one time was flat, and now it's round. Right, <laughs> so exactly. So the wisdom of men is what? It's foolishness, if we count on that, if that's all, it is not to say that there are not some things that we do know are absolutes, but but truly, man does not know what God knows, and if you're making a comparison between the knowledge of men and the wisdom of men and how men think things through, um, there's one I think it's in Jeremiah there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of it leads to what death, right so because men really do not understand. This, pr- this basic fundamental truth that it's by faith that you are saved. It is by believing God that you are saved. It is not by your works. And it's certainly not by following other men. Right? The weakness of men is going to lead you into demise. Verse 21 puts it pretty clearly. It says the world
1: through its wisdom did not come to know God. Yes.
0: To save those yes I love that 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 saves those who believe so if you if we want to get the cross part in here add that in I think we could put on there the cross of Christ which is the power of God it's that which saves those who believe it's not men that can save those who believe so you can follow a man all you want but he's not your savior he didn't die for you right Jesus is the one and so here we say the cross of Christ It's the power of God. The power of God to do what? To save you. It's that which saves you. And it saves who? Those who believe. It's not about me or any clever preaching, right? It's not about, it is all about Jesus who's crucified. And by the way, crucified and coming again, as he mentioned back in verse 7, right? All right. Now one more, we're doing really good, we're going to get through it. All right, uh, 26 to 31, this is our grand finale. Now we're back to, again, the word calling in there, right? Starting in 26, what does he start out with? The very first words in there is what? consider your calling have you seen now how profound the subject calling actually is in this chapter it's all about your calling and the calling is about who called you and he called you to what into fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so by re-diverting and retraining the church, the church's identity is in Jesus, not in men. That's his step one to solving the problem of division. That's just step one. He's going to go on in chapter two and chapter three and chapter four, continuing to address divisions. He starts though with the most principled, fundamental truth. You are united in Christ Jesus because that is the one who saved you, right? So in this last closing bit, he goes on to talk about the subject of choosing. Now, we looked up that word choosing, didn't we? That you are chosen. That's in 1, 27 and 28. It's number 1586. All right. And what is the word there? How did you define chosen? We have to do this quickly, guys. I pick out for myself, I choose elect, elect elect. Okay. okay. Yes, whatever, yes. All right, my, my Hebrew and Greek are really rotten. Right. Okay, so it's an elect, it's to elect or select, right? It's a choosing. Any others? Or rendering a special service him. Okay. Uh, I didn't get that part. So, okay, give that to me again, Glenn. that's cool, rendering of special service to God. You know, again, that's like the one I talked about with Lois, where that definition comes out of a specific verse where they, they drew their, their, the rest of their insight for it. So fundamental, the, the root of it is to select, to elect or to select right, or to choose. And then how that, so here's the next question then. How does God choose and who does God choose? And that's what we see in this last paragraph, right? Who does God choose according to the last paragraph? Yeah, the the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, that's in 27. The 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 base things of the world. By the way, I looked up that word base. Did anybody look that one up? This is interesting. It's the ignoble, the coward of no family or that which is low born. In other words, a low life, right? So that's it's the base things of the world, the low lives of the world. The historical background on this with Corinth is that Uh, Corinth, you know, was basically built twice. The first time by the uh, Greeks, then it was destroyed by the Romans when there was a conflict, then the Romans rebuilt it. And the the first time it was built, it was um, uh, inhabited by very wealthy, very prestigious, highbrow people, people who've been born of of, uh, privilege, basically. The second time, it was built from the ground up, but it was built by by people who were self-made men they were people who worked hard and became something of themselves but they started out as a commoner they didn't come from the highbrow world they came from the commoner and therefore he talks about this he says when God chose them since this is significant to what he's saying here in this passage to the Corinthians he's saying I ch- what did, who did God chose he says he has chosen the foolish things of the world Foolish by whose standard? The world, right? I have chosen the weak things of the world. I have chosen the base things of the world. Also the despised things of the world and the things that are not. In other words, this is an interesting one. I looked this one up. It means the things that are not expresses an absolute denial no acknowledgement of or to count or view as if non-existent. These are the people who were of no account to the world. The world looked at these people like they were nobodies. They were nothings, right? Because they didn't come from high society. They didn't come from money. They didn't come from a prestigious family. They didn't come from, you know, the kingship or something. Yes, it was it was a it was absolutely you know what, we lived in Izmir Turkey port city 3.5 million when we were there and that was what 30 years ago but yeah these these port cities were huge 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 and they and be, they bustling and international i mean and multitudes of god worships going on and uh they had a great love for knowledge and wisdom and um just the fine things, but also because of the environment in which they were living, it lent itself for people to become very wealthy very quick. It provided the avenue through which they became super wealthy. So this was one of the things that's going to come up later, but Paul is going to address this, uh, the idea that they they see themselves as having it all. They, what more? Actually, they're self-sufficient. What do I need with God even, right? I can provide for myself. I am wealthy. I am well-situated. I'm very brilliant, you know, because they only surrounded themselves with people who had had a smooth tongue. That's why Paul was offensive to them right he didn't come with flattering speech so he says about them that that these are the things who God chose now what's interesting about this is we haven't talked about how God chooses now Kay's going to do a great job on her video covering this but I'm just going to take you to one one chapter in your mind you don't have to open it I'm just going to tell you about it Ephesians chapter one and if all you do in Ephesians chapter one is circle the word in Christ you are going to find out real quickly how Jesus chooses. His choosing is not arbitrary. His choosing is, and even his predestined, it says in here, uh, uh, in Ephesians 1.4, that you were chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. But how were we chosen? In Christ Jesus. Who was before the foundation of the world? Christ Jesus. Were you and I before the foundation of the world? No. So we were not chosen before the foundation of the world. We were chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Right? Then he says in Ephesians 1.9, according to God's kind intention, right? So God intended you to be chosen. But he says this, he follows it on, which he purposed in Christ Jesus. In other words, the choosing is by and through his plan. And what is his plan? Jesus right? And then he concludes in Ephesians 1. 13. It's not all of them. There's a bunch more, but I just picked out three. Uh, Ephesians 1.13, when you heard the gospel and you believed, that's when you were chosen. So you're choosing. Now, does God foreknow? Yes. But God, he says you hear and receive. Is that not what he said here? He It pleased him to save those who did what? Believed. So it, Ephesians one says the same thing. So God saved those who believe. First 1 Corinthians one twenty-one. God desires for all men to believe and to be saved. That's in Second Timothy 2 4. Then in then in 1 Corinthians back to here, he says, God nullified nullified. That's how he concludes. It. He says, Who did he choose? And we just went through all that. He says he nullified the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. What does it mean to nullify? It means to destroy, to do away, to abolish, to render idle, to unemploy, to inactivate, to inoperate, to cause a person or a thing to have no further efficiency or effectiveness. It is to uh, deprive of force, influence, and power. So how did he deprive them of force, influence, and power? The message of the what? The cross. The cross made that ineffective. Yeah, isn't that awesome? That's an awesome thing. Okay, title for that last paragraph. I'm just going to add this in. Consider your calling because it brings back that word calling again. And then go on and title it with the rest. What has God d- done in there? What's your keyword? Major keyword in that paragraph? Chosen. So that word needs to be in there. What is how has God chosen you? God has chosen you, right? Is it that hard? God has chosen you, and, and who's our central theme here? Christ. Jesus Christ. So how has he chosen you? Yeah. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Now how does that address the problem of division? there you go not by our doing and not by any other man's doing so don't follow Paul don't follow Apollos don't follow Cephas remember you are in Christ Jesus by God's calling he does he has chosen you by his own doing not by men men may have preached God I, I heard our pastor say this or our visiting pastors say this yesterday one will plant and one will water but what but it's God that gives the increase. That verse fits perfectly right here. And he says, but it's by his doing that you are in Christ Jesus. By God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, tell me, does this this flow well? Do you see? What is our major theme then going to be on this? And then we're for our title what are you supposed to do then if if the whole thing is about how they are falling into divisions with men and he concludes with with what at the very end, let him who boasts boast in the Lord how would you do you want to title this Very good. Okay, so even that right there, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. B-O-A-S, boast in the Lord. And the way I tied in the word call and calling, because that's significant in here, and you want to get that in your title somewhere, I put on here, boast in the Lord who called you. That's how I did it. Now, you, you might find a more clever way of doing it, but you want to get the word called in your title, and you want you want the, the focus to be upon the Lord, and I love the fact that it's the Lord, not, not Jesus Christ there, but the Lord, because the Lord is the one who is our lead, right? He is the one who's supposed to be leading us. All right, did a pretty good job there,